Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back to another awesome edition of Market Impact Insights. You know, during our disruptive times right now, we are all coming together. We're finding ways to support each other in business and our personal lives. And even during this uh, non-business as usual period, we're still seeing a lot of strategic business initiatives. We're seeing companies come together. Uh, We're seeing mergers. We're seeing acquisitions. And today, We're going to focus on the art and the science of bringing companies together because it is an art and a science. And our guest today, Joe Burton, knows a lot about that. He's been involved in companies that have been acquired, but he's also been an executive leader that has really driven strategic acquisitions and bringing cultures and companies and people together. So we're going to explore that a little bit more. And Joe has a very impressive leadership background in technology. Uh, most recently as the president and CEO at Poly. Prior to that, he was president and CEO at Plantronics. Uh, Prior to that, at Plantronics, chief commercial officer. Uh, He was uh, prior to that at Polycom as chief strategy officer. And he spent several years at Cisco, both uh, at, at a VP level in terms of the software as a service platform part of the business on the engineering side. And he was also VP and chief technology officer for the Unified Communications uh, Technology Business Unit. So Joe has quite a a breadth of experience, and we'll talk a little bit about that also um, at the lead-in. But Joe, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate you uh, asking me on. It sounds like a lot of fun. So Joe, in looking at your background, you really started out uh, in software design and architecture. And I'm really curious, just as a starting point to understand a little bit, what drove your path to executive leadership? Because obviously, there were skills you had to hone uh, on the technical side of the business that that may have been very valuable to you as you moved up into more senior executive roles. What, what was that like? And, and what were some of the things you were able to apply? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question, Dan, because uh, unlike a lot of people that wound up in uh, pretty senior leadership positions, um, it was never an explicit goal of mine. I was, in fact, very happy as a uh, technical architect and as a technical leader. But, you know, when I think back on that time in my career, Um, I think what I enjoyed most was solving complex challenges with lots of constraints. So on the technical side, when there were many, many things going on simultaneously and you had to find that perfect architecture or build a design that a large team could all understand and come together on, 
Um, that was always where I was happiest. So I think what I actually found is that technology and executive leadership actually have that in common. The bringing together of a complex team to solve a non-trivial problem with a lot of uh, constraints of one kind or another, I think really spans from uh, technology to uh, business problem solving quite well. And Joe, when you think back on it, was it really just more of a gradual evolution of opportunities presenting themselves? Or can you even think back to one specific moment where in your mind you said, you know what, I I can go on a different track here. I I can kind of aim for uh, that, uh, I guess, pinnacle of uh, executive leadership. How did that work? Well, you know, one, once again, Dan, some, somewhat surprisingly, it was really very much one thing at a time. So solving a technical problem correctly, or in, and more importantly, solving a problem for end users. So coming up with a solution that not only would help somebody technical like you and I, but something that frankly would make your children or your parents have a more enriching or a better uh, experience with a piece of technology, um, always required an incredible amount of empathy to really understand what the end user was feeling and what their challenges were, Mm -hmm. a deep understanding of the problem, the constraints and so forth. And I think I just found that as I um, got involved in larger and larger problems to solve and learn to um, listen more carefully and so forth, inevitably it wound up being technical problems plus people challenges plus uh, financial issues. And it really was just a very organic uh, transition for me from small departmental technical challenges to larger systems to organizational Mm -hmm. uh, systems, and then ultimately to running companies. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And another facet of your career, of course, you and I worked together at Active Voice, which was acquired by Cisco, you know, as part of that unified communications business. But even from Active Voice to Cisco, to Polycom, to Plantronics, and then ultimately Poly, you've worked in businesses that have always been around developing solutions to improve the quality and the impact of personal communications. Joe, what's your view on the role of that communications experience in business success? Because it is really critical, it is really strategic, and it's been that common thread. And have you seen that evolve over time? Uh, you know, Dan, it's a great question. And um, it, it, unified communications is an incredible passion of mine. And gosh, from the time uh, you and I met at Active Voice, I hate to say it, but maybe 25 years ago now. Um, care, careful now. <laughs> you're, you're aging us now, Joe. You got to be careful about that. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, one of the things I liked about Active Voice is they hired all of us at 15 years old. So it That's was great. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I really have seen evolution. So I think maybe maybe 25 years ago, frankly, the industry was really about just getting communications to work 
at almost any cost. So could we get a audio conference call that would work stably for a couple of hours, perhaps internationally? Could we get a video call to work, even with a whole bunch of uh, IT people assisting in every call? So the industry really started um, 25 or so years ago when I first got into it. It was about, can we get it to work at any cost? Then it became about, um, can we make it cheaper? So can we get this to a cost where an average business can understand it? I think for the last 10 or so years, cost has no longer been an issue, but we've really been in the phase of can we make it easy? Can we get to the point where the average person can touch an app on a mobile device, can touch an app mm-hmm. on a laptop uh, and reasonably get into a communication session? I think the the exciting world we've been moving into lately is can we take that easy, rich communications, voice, video, web collaboration, and truly make it seamless, make it so information workers anywhere in the world can seamlessly shift from working individually to touching a button and collaborating with people all over the world, hop back out and work individually and then be on with a different group. So literally during your day, you can seamlessly shift between um, working individually, working in a uh, persistent chat kind of environment, or working in real-time communications. So literally, how can we make it like being able to lean away from your desk and talk to the person next to you, but the person next to you is actually 7 billion people all over the world? It's, it, it's still an, an incredibly exciting industry. Yeah, yeah, it's bringing people together. And if you think about whatever percent of that business population that maybe the light bulb wasn't going off on in terms of how to improve and create greater virtual collaboration, I'll bet over the last two months that light bulb has gone off. So we're in very interesting times, aren't we, Joe, where a lot of what you've kind of devoted your your life and your passion around is becoming the most important thing of how to keep organizations running effectively when they're in much more virtual types of workspaces? You know, it it really has, Dan. I mean, uh, obviously, the last couple of months has been um, uncharted territory for the whole world. And, um, you know, I think things are changing, but I do think that the communications technologies enabling businesses and medical professionals and families to continue operating and doing the things they need to do, albeit in a very different way, has been um, has been a silver lining during a very difficult time. But I think a lot of good can come uh, can come in the future by embracing these technologies even more now that literally all of us have been exposed to them. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So let's get back now to this idea of the art and the science of bringing businesses, companies, cultures together. And you've had a lot of experience. You've been in businesses that have been acquired, uh, but you've also led the acquisition of others. Most notably, uh, about two years ago, the $2 billion acquisition of Polycom by Plantronics and ultimately creating 
the Poly brand. When you think about acquisitions, Joe, what do you feel are the most important factors that separate successful outcomes from disappointing outcomes? Yeah, it's it's a great question, Dan. I think, you know, we all know that while there are reasons for acquisitions, they're almost always hard for one reason or another. Um, fortunately, I had, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the good luck of really learning a lot about this at Cisco. Uh, probably uh, nobody does acquisitions uh, tremendously well, but Cisco is one of the best. Um, I think a few of the things that, uh, that myself and many others have learned over the years that we really wound up using, using at Poly as well um, is, first of all, for me, the strategic rationale has to be right and enduring. So this has to be a good idea for the industry. It has to be a real problem that needs solved. This can't be a temporary, we need some growth, let's go acquire someone. So one of the, one of the uh, statements uh, I always make to people is you've got to understand your strategy and understand what you're looking for and then consider an, a, an acquisition. I tell people, um, never go to the, uh, never go shopping when you're hungry. Uh, if you've ever done that at the grocery store, um, <laughs> yes, you're, better, I have. you're better off to, uh, you're better off to uh, sit at home when you, uh, when you're not terribly hungry, fill out the recipes that you'd like to make for the week, build a shopping list, and then go to the store and go through that in a little more structured way. So I think that's tremendously overarchingly important with acquisitions as well. In the case of Polly, and we've talked about it publicly many times, um, you know, the unified communications industry, $40 billion a year, is changing rapidly as, as it evolves from on-premises to the cloud, as it evolves from pure voice to rich media and so forth. So we really said, as that, as that move to the cloud occurs, as companies like Cisco and Microsoft and Zoom and RingCentral and 8x8 and many others do well, there needs to be a, a one-stop shop to provide all the hardware that goes with that, the phones, the headsets, the uh, video conferencing and such, all tied together with software analytics in a way that we can really help make that great communications experience we were talking about. So on the poly side, we had the strategic rationale right, and I think today, the reason for bringing those companies together is even stronger than it was two and a half, three years ago when we were first planning it. So got to have the strategic rationale right. It's got to be enduring. It's got to be a good idea, not a temporary thing. Um, you know, the other ones for me are, um, uh, are a little smaller, but no less important. So internally, you must establish a shared vision that is broadly understood and broadly believed in by the employee base. In the case of Poly, we were bringing together a couple of companies because the industry was changing. So we really had to continue the educational process on who both companies were before 
that world doesn't exist anymore. We've got to get ready for a new world. It's a bright future. It's a good one. But here's what that new world looks like. And we've all got to be on it together. Um, the last one uh, people talk about all the time, but culture, culture, culture. The companies have to have a very similar culture when you bring them together, or you've really got to make the case for establishing a new culture and bringing people to it. And frankly, establishing a new culture is a long, hard process. Habits run deep. But um, I think if you got the strategic rationale right, if you can establish a shared vision of what success in new business processes look like, and then underneath that, if you have a common culture, a common set of values, then I think you have a recipe to, to, to consider an acquisition. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned strategy and then you mentioned culture. And of course, a, a very famous quote that I know you know from Peter Drucker was that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So we're coming back to the food again, Joe. But 100%. Bringing, <laughs> bringing the large global businesses of Plantronics Polycomp together, and, and you mentioned building a cohesive, sustainable culture is this big challenge, this big thing that has to be done. What are some of the most challenging things that you faced uh, as a CEO in trying to make that happen? Well, I got to tell you, culture change or or culture uh, melding in this case, um, it, it is a long process. So while I think we made a lot of progress at Poly, um, it is still an ongoing process. I had a couple of people tell me uh, when I started this, uh, when myself, the head of human resources and some others went out and talked to experts on culture and whatnot, we were told that, you know, this is a three to five year journey if you're persistent to get the cultures to really come together. Um, you know, I think a lot of it really is communicate, 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 communicate. What, what does the future look like? You know, let's talk about what the future state is, but also modeling the right behaviors. You know, I also heard, uh, had somebody tell me, Dan, that, you know, culture is that guiding hand in the room that kind of tells people what it, what it's okay to do and what it's not okay to do, even when the boss isn't there. So I think really just establishing those new, uh, those new cultural goalposts that say, um, we're always going to put quality before time to market, or we're going to balance shareholders, employees, and customers in the following way. Um, really just takes a fair amount of time. And I think, uh, you know, at Poly, certainly we have been making great progress on that, but it takes a good while when you're bringing together two, uh, two big organizations that each of which have a proud uh, history. Yeah, I think the power of behavior and modeling, you, you brought that up. That is, that is so true. And I've been in so many uh, acquisition scenarios myself. And it seems like with it's very easy to fall into the trap of becoming very focused on the process uh, of what you're trying to do and lose sight of the power of personal behavior and kind of the, the not 
so explicit messages that come from the behaviors because people are watching and especially at a leadership level you're you're very exposed right you're you're in a glass jar to some extent right people are watching they're well, looking I, I, they're I trying think to you are, from that. I, I think you are absolutely on it Dan I think having um, having the ultimate leader the CEO the divisional leaders all the way down through the uh, through the directors and the managers in an organization, um, you know, culture isn't what you say. Culture is what you do. So having people model the culture, having people look at the culture as the right thing, both when things are good and when things are bad, when you have a lot of time and when you're rushed. You can tell that you're not there on the culture yet when people fall to other behaviors, when they don't have time for the culture. So I I think you're exactly right. It's getting it instilled enough that the culture is, is what you fall back on when things are difficult rather than what you do when things are good. Yeah, most definitely. So I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk more uh, around uh, product strategy and the role of customers in in helping shape that. Now, you've worked in both hardware and software businesses, and I know a big part of that poly transformation was moving to just being seen as a company selling endpoints to one that was truly an innovator uh, around a collaboration platform. And you introduced a new name, a new visual identity, Lots of change, lots of transformation. And it seems that that whole process was very much guided by a very customer-centric market point of view. Can you share a little bit more about that? You touched on it earlier, but a little more about the role of that customer voice uh, and understanding uh, how to deliver on those needs and not just today, but where it was headed. Yeah, Dan, it's... um It's a fascinating question. It was an interesting part of the cultural journey, too, where maybe 10 or 15 years ago, these are both companies that have a a rich history. They've both been around 30, 40, 50 years in some cases. Um, There was a time when the emphasis was on, once again, building products that could work because uh, the industry was so new that working was, uh, was noteworthy unto itself. As we've moved forward in time and, you know, with the advent of the Internet, a lot of standards, cheap, pretty good communications, we really had to pivot around um, being extremely customer-centric, really focusing on what does an individual want to have happen when they reach into their laptop bag and grab a headset, when they walk into a conference room full of poly uh, equipment, when they're literally, you know, on the go in the office or in the conference room, um, what would you like to have happen? So it's been a very interesting focus on getting people to both our customers and our internal folks to to actually not talk about technology. So we shouldn't talk about uh, speeds and feeds as we used to call it. One of the tests I give customers a lot these days is I'll ask, and I'll put you on the spot, Dan, 
Um, and I bet you don't know the answer to this. How many okay. megapixel? How many megapixels is the camera in your smartphone today? Uh, you you are so correct. I don't know that answer, Joe. Well, <laughs> you, you are... know, and there's a reason for that, Dan. Don't feel bad. The answer is a few years ago, smartphone cameras, the megapixels, the resolution became good enough. I would say we are in a post-resolution uh, area. Um, these days, we're not worried about the megapixels. We're worried about if it takes a good picture. We like that if we touch a certain right. spot on the screen, it intuitively focuses there. It does the right things with light and dark. And frankly, the same thing is happening with the rest of the collaboration industry. We need to focus not on high-def audio or low-def audio, on 4K video cameras or uh, you know 120-degree uh, field of use. We need to focus on when users walk into the room, do they know what to do? At the end of, at the end of their collaboration experience, were they satisfied? The end. So it's been really interesting changing an industry that used to be focused on just getting it to work to really focus on being as simple and natural as face to face. But it's been really exciting working through that uh, cultural difference with um, our customers and our uh, and our associates at the company. Yeah, it's fascinating as you were talking, Joe. I mean, really, it's all about outcomes. I mean, that's and what customers can visualize in terms of what is that outcome that I get through the experience. And that's the focus, not so much the specs, but uh, what is that outcome that I can achieve? Well, you know, Dan, we, 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 we speak a lot at Poly about can we um, create collaboration solutions that connect people and then quietly step out of the way. Ironically, I think Poly's products are the most successful when you forget that they're there. Yeah, yeah. It's almost, uh, again, the focus on the experience that's enabled. You bet. Through the solution. Yeah, yeah. And I know today it's it's very rare that any company can be in a silo and kind of be off by itself and, and do everything on its own. We are in an era of strategic partnerships and collaboration. And how have you seen that evolve over time? Would you say it's any different, Joe, than it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago? Uh, you know, in a couple of ways. I think when... Uh, you look at, once again, um, end users, be that the IT department, um, a business client, or an individual at home. Once again, you nailed it a couple of minutes ago when you said it's about the outcome. Nobody is, um, nobody is interested in whether it was your mobile phone or the service provider that let you down. In a business collaboration setting, whether it was a the Poly device or Microsoft or Zoom that caused it to be a poor experience, they just want it to be a great experience. So I think that has led to um, deeper partnerships than in the past, partnerships around experience. I think when, uh, if I look back 20 years ago, 
very often we would publish specifications to our partners. So we would say, technically, here's where my system ends and your system begins. These days, I find partnerships to be much more integrated. So on the technology side, typically you have joint user experience labs where you're testing the whole solution end to end to make sure it does exactly what the uh, customers are going to want. Um, even on the go-to-market side, joint sales, joint marketing, where we really make sure that we bring together the brand promise of all of the companies in a partnership um, rather than just say the uh, products are compatible. So I think partnerships are much deeper and across the whole stack from the technology to the go-to-market to what the end user actually sees and feels. And I think that's for the better. Yeah, breaking down what you were just saying, Joe, I, really it's about being more thoughtful in terms of those partnerships. And the question may not be so much technically, are we compatible? But really, uh, based on what, again, joint outcome working together we can achieve, is it the right one? So it feels like it's a more maybe deliberate as opposed to just, well, because technically it can happen, it should. Whereas now it's like, okay, we've got to have that as an underpinning, but uh, should it, and what's the right choice if I've got a range of options in terms of where to partner? Yeah, where to I, I, I think you're on it, Dan. I think the best partnerships I see these days are the ones that once again, firmly put the uh, user in mind. If we start from what's the joint value we would like to deliver to the users, and then we work backwards to what each of the partners has to do to deliver that. How are we going to test it? How are we going to take it to market? How are we going to support it over time? Then I really think we have a recipe for a partnership that's, uh, that's great for everybody involved. Yeah, makes total sense. So, Joe, we're obviously in pretty uncharted waters right now as it relates to the market. A lot of unknowns, uh, a lot of turbulence out there. But as you think about the way people work and business gets done, where do you see the future of collaboration heading? Well, you know, Dan, I would never uh, undersell all the difficult things that are going on. I mean, I know that uh, you know people are being hurt by, uh, by the disruption in business and life and everything else right now. At the same time, I can't help but be an optimist in the medium to long term. The collaboration technologies that the uh, industry has already built and that are frankly uh, still on the drawing board, I think literally enable us to interact with anybody on the face of the earth in a very simple and natural way at a reasonable price which really uh, obviously starts out by handling the, uh, the, uh, the, the contagion issue. Uh, if you're on collaboration, then uh, clearly we can all collaborate and get work done, get socializing and other creativity done uh, without infecting each other. But I think there's a positive aspect over time. Um, people for a long time have had to choose between living where they want to live and going where the job is, being near their family or being near opportunity. 
Um, I hope one of the long-term silver linings on this very difficult cloud is that people understand collaboration well enough that maybe we can all make uh, uh, richer choices going forward where we can uh, work great jobs without all driving into the office every day. We can all interact with our families wherever they are in the world without waiting for the once a year plane flight. So I think there's still a lot collaboration can do to uh, to help us in this evolving world. It's going to be um, an interesting next few years. Of that, we can be sure. Interesting and also, I think, eye-opening in the sense of just the realization that people are making by there's no substitute for personal experience. And, and we've got people trying new approaches to work, new approaches to communication. You're so right, Joe. There's the, the realization. And once you get a comfort with that, once you've tasted something different, I think it's always hard to go back and say, well, we're just going to flip a switch and go back to, quote, the way things were. It never really works that way, does it? It really doesn't. I think we all um, we all evolve and learn to uh, use the new tools that we have uh, much quicker than we would imagine. So I think uh, the world will continue evolving, uh, frankly, in some very uh, positive ways on the technology side as we uh, as we come out of this difficult time. Well, Joe, it's been great reconnecting. Thank you for sharing your perspectives around leadership, around the challenge and opportunity of bringing companies together, and uh, really, really valuable for us to uh, take and, and, and continue to think about and apply. It's my pleasure, Dan. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on. It was a lot of fun. And a reminder to all of you, if you like this podcast, to please take a minute and go out on Apple Podcasts, rate and review. It's very, very helpful. I love to get the feedback. And also a reminder to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.